0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone and welcome on to the show. I'm glad you could join me as today we're gonna to be speaking with Rebecca Parnum. Now Rebecca's involved in a number of different initiatives, so we find out all about those. But the thing that struck me in our conversation is the number of names that she mentions and the real value that community has to play. So if you look at the show notes, you'll see that there's at least 24 different names and organizations of people that she referenced through our interview. And I hope you're as encouraged by it to maybe do something yourself, because that's how I was feeling when I was chatting with her. And she kept saying this name, this name, another person helped me, I helped this person. It was just really awesome. Here's a little excerpt from our conversation.
1: And Naima and I, to look at us, you'd think we were very different people, but we have so much in common, it's crazy. Mm. We just need to get to know each other. That's all it takes, Mm. you know. We don't all have to like each other, but if we understand each other, you know we're actually going to be okay.
0: I really enjoyed my chat with Rebecca and I know you will as well. If you do enjoy it then you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes as well because there's more than 145 in the back catalogue. There's also a website at theseeds.nz with lots more material and videos and other information. Now let's get into our conversation with Rebecca. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Rebecca Parnam from Krama & Co. Thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. It's exciting Um, to be here.
0: Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the podcast because we've known each other quite a while now, actually. Yeah, a number of years. I'm thinking, you know, social enterprise way, way back. I remember um, being involved in sort of brainstorming with you even some of your thoughts about Gosh, your business yeah. you know? that
1: was extremely helpful it definitely set us on a path of what we were going to be in terms of deciding that we're definitely a social enterprise and we were a business mm-hmm. um but also knowing that we'd set up in a way that in the future if we wanted to become a charity we could so that was extremely helpful that conversation actually. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: well it's now years ago it's weird to think about <laughs> isn't <know>? it but <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so totally that's why it's yesterday. great to have you on here and i know you're involved in a number of different things because i see your you know on social media or doing different things yeah. so i'd love to unpack what those things are but before we get into all of that what i'd like to do on the podcast is set the scene and really understand a person's life to be able to know why they're doing what they do today great so if we could go right back to the beginning and just start by telling us a bit about where you're from
1: great okay cool so um i'm i really love where i'm from and i'm really proud of where i'm from
0: mm-hmm.
1: i come from a little town called mount summers and my brothers children are fifth generations on our land so we've we've lived on this land for a really long time so we feel a real sense of waiwai mm. to this place it's where we belong and even though I've lived in Christchurch for a number of years I still call it home which confuses people a lot uh, but I actually happen to marry the boy next door so he's he's His Tūranga Waiwai is right next door as well, so it really does have a sense of of belonging and home.
0: Wow. So describe the land and what it's like.
1: like. It's stunning. So we're in the foothills, Mm -hmm. so we look up onto uh, Mount Summers and Mm -hmm. a great view of Mount Hutt. So we often get the killers out and joke we saw someone, you know, falling over on the ski field or something like that. Right. So it's it's really beautiful. So we're the gateway to the lake. So like camping, like Clearwater are right at our doorstep. Mm-hmm. Our family has a really long history of, of um, shooting up there. So duck shooting and fishing. and mm-hmm. um, So that's how we came to be there because pe- um, before we had land there in, in um, we would visit the land. So... Um, Typically, uh, well, basically our family were sheep farmers, so um, that was pretty tough and there was a few, you know, years of drought and stuff like that and farming was pretty tough. So um, just lately, my brother's come into the partnership on the farm and they've moved more into dairy grazing, which has been a lot better for the, um, you know, for the income as mm-hmm. well, which is good.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um. So just describe the person like five generations ago. Um, do you know much about them and uh, like so, when they first arrived? And uh,
1: what I do know is that uh, basically there was there was an estate and the Lockheeds owned the estate and my great grandfather mm-hmm. married one of the daughters. Okay, so she was a twin, so that's how we came to get that land. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> and they developed that land and then. Um, I think, unfortunately, she died quite young and then he ended up bringing up the two boys and then my grandmother came along and kind of turned up at this house where three men had lived in and it was a bit of a mess and, and um, she kind of took over from there. Right. So, it's kind of all I know, unfortunately. Yeah. But what I do know is, so my, my maiden name is Reveley, is that all of the Revleys are related. So, sometimes, you you know, if you meet someone and you say, oh, are you part of that? Yeah. I, all Revleys are related. We all kind of...
0: Right, your distant cousins or yeah. second cousins yeah, or whatever. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah right. Definitely. Interesting. So, your childhood, like, describe, you know, being four or five years old, like really early days. Yeah. Was it a childhood when you were outside and oh, exploring? Completely. And, yeah. We
1: didn't have a TV, for instance. Mm-hmm. I was the last of four children. So, we just played and we had a whole farm to play on. Um, if mum was getting sick of four kids under her feet, you know, mm-hmm. we we're all out. Dad took us out on the farm, but we were. Forever building huts and stuff like that. Back in the day, you had to get a TV license to watch TV. And and the guy turned up, knocked on the door, and he said, Right, I'm here to collect for the TV license. Mum said, We don't have a TV. Right. And he said, What? And he literally walked past her into our house and checked our house for a TV. Right. But that's just, that's not the life we lived. We were just out on the farm having fun. Yeah. So, so
0: it's like you were in the colonial days, huh? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was really yeah. good. But no yeah. regrets, No, no looking back, you know, wish I'd had it.
1: No, no. I mean, there wasn't a lot of money, uh, but that just didn't matter and you didn't you kind of you didn't realize back in mm. the day you know mum and dad just grew the food most of the food and stuff like that and we lived on hand-me-downs and mm-hmm. you know we had a good life yeah definitely.
0: oh that's great and what sort of things did you enjoy as a child did you say you were the youngest of the four or?
1: yeah I'm yeah. the youngest yeah, yeah so. so
0: you've got older siblings that you're trailing after and learning from I guess yeah <laughs> annoying
1: I think probably right. anything <laughs> definitely Uh yeah I just I remember just doing lots of stuff outside like I said building huts and playing games Games. and there was enough of us which is cool that you could actually have a good game of something or a game of tennis or mm-hmm. just whatever you wanted to do really which was good.
0: Mm-hmm. So. And now I think you're quite involved in different social causes I guess you might yeah, call them. Yeah. Is that something that we could look back and see uh, examples of it even completely. back then?
1: Yeah so within the family um, especially my father's been very involved in the community so uh, he's, he's a serving brother of St John's because he Gave years to St John's, twenty or thirty years. Um, he spent oh, how many years? I think maybe nine, 15 years in the council, something like that. Mm-hmm. So he's just uh, just left um, Ashburn and District Council. He was a councillor. Right. Um, he was he's a life member of the Mount Summers Rugby Club. Um, he's on the Domain board. He's the I think he's the chair of the mid. Canterbury Rural Support Trust mm. so and then mum's on it was on a lot of things like the Board of Trustees and stuff like that the tennis club the uh, the pool my brother then went on to do that stuff my sister um, and Ash Burden's really um, and her husband are really active so so yeah I, it's not surprising that I've come to do what I do really it just it's just kind of Felt normal for me That mm. it kind of like That's just what you do In the community Is you, you participate And obviously When you're part Of a small community mm. uh, You have to participate mm. You know We need everyone In there doing it And um, it's just how it works Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, That's great And coming through Into your sort of High school years What sort of things Did you enjoy studying
1: mm-hmm. Oh no I was I wasn't the best I wasn't the best Child at high school Yeah <laughs> um, And I left early actually I left early To work as a sheet hand uh-huh. um, So I I um, yeah definitely didn't make the most of my high school years and Mm -hmm. I know that was really disappointing for my parents Mm -hmm. um so
0: why was that what you just didn't enjoy the environment of school or
1: uh yeah just probably just too busy hanging out with my mates wanting to be um go and have fun really Mm -hmm. so it was disappointing I was a pretty bright student and and I could have you know done a lot better so Mm -hmm. Mum and Dad reluctantly let me leave school to become a shed hand, and I, I then went on to do social work, which, as an adult student, mm-hmm. uh, so that kind of made up for it a little bit. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> yeah, probably got <laughs> so, my proudest moment. So, <laughs> what
0: what was it like being a shed hand? What exactly do you do? Ah, oh,
1: so um, so my family's got a long history as shed mm-hmm. ha- in the shed. So uh, my father's a world classer. My my uncle and my grandfather had she ran were shearers. My grandfather, in order to run the farm to afford the farm he had to work during the day as a shearer and then come back and do the farm work at night to pay the bills Mm -hmm. so um it was really normal for me and growing up on the farm working as a shed hand I had all those skills Mm -hmm. so I used to do it in the holidays anyway and then they're like well hey you know we need another shed hand you want to just keep going right um so yeah and it's I really love doing physical work um, I think obviously coming from the farm, mm. um, you feel kind of good at the end of the day if you've done a good hard day's work. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was good. It was hard in winter when you kind of go to work and it's dark and you, you leave work and it's dark and you haven't got to go outside. That's hard. Yeah, right. So, yeah. But it
0: would be an environment, I guess, of outdoors a lot as well, right? Like mm.
1: Definitely, yeah. 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 So it was good for yeah. a while. Yeah. It, I think the thing about that kind of work is it teaches you... Uh, that it, it is good, but getting an education um, is, you know, it kind of makes you want to get well. an education. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: I interviewed a guy named Ian Harvey um, a couple months ago now, yeah. and he worked as a shepherd oh, for years yes. and years and years. <laughs> yeah. And he described sort of going with his, because he had a, his dogs, you know, and they would go out into the mountains and kind of bring the sheep back, oh, you know, and wow. he described, you know, being there, watching the sunrise and, just the outdoor nature of that. That's oh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah you can't beat it.
1: I definitely, I worked, did a bit of work as just a, like a relief milker. And there's nothing like watching the sun come up in the morning on a farm. Mm, you know, right. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So it makes you feel alive. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. you're working like that, but you're also starting to see, oh, maybe I should get some education? Or uh, what so happened I, next?
1: Well, when I was at, at school, one of the things I did do was I, I was always the person that helped my friends. So if anyone had a problem, they came to me and I solved it. So mm. um, I really wanted to be a social worker. So obviously to be a social worker, you need to get um, you need to get a degree. So I, um, I decided that that's, it was time for me to kind of actually, you know, get an education. Mm-hmm. So I went to University of Canterbury and got a, a degree in social work. Right. So, yeah, that was excellent. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. What,
0: what were some of the things that you learned through that degree,
1: oh so much it's a four-year degree uh so it's a really long road um uh some of the things that really stick with me one of them was that that whole idea of um whether someone's deserving or not deserving so in social work everyone's deserving there's there's not an an idea of whether you are or aren't um i remember one day uh one of one of the ladies i was studying with Mm. saying to me i can't believe you're doing this Mm. when you haven't worked as a social worker like it must be hard Mm. and like once i started practicing social work i actually got it you know um the good thing that happens when you do your degrees and in your professional years your last two years you um you do placements so mm. that was really useful so i did a placement doing research and then i did a placement with the social worker in schools um edwina brooks and aranui and so that was really helpful for me
0: right yeah yeah, yeah. it's always interesting i think to look at Degrees and what you learn because they're quite it's a lot of study, isn't it? Oh, you know, it's huge. and yeah. thinking about what it was, what were the key things that you learned through it? I think yeah. it's important. So, yeah. what happened after that? Um, did you?
1: So, because I'd had that placement with um, social workers in schools, I'd had a relationship with Tapuna Faiora which is was Glenelg Children's South Gamps, which is now Stand. Uh, So I was able to get a job as a residential social worker. So that's working in the camp. When the children come in, you're one of the the caregivers for the children or social workers. And I did that because I felt like I didn't have enough life experience to go out and do what I wanted to do, which is work with children. Mm -hmm. I was still relatively young. So I worked there. um, Oh, gosh maybe a year and a half I was a residential social worker mm-hmm. and that was really good learning in terms of um, children and behaviours and supporting children through that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I really loved that and then I went on to become a field worker in schools within the the of uh, a charity and then an opportunity to become a social worker in schools came up so I went on to do that.
0: Right one of the things that strikes me about social work is that you probably need to be pretty good at reading people and breaking down barriers quickly to be able to interact. The the thing
1: about social work is, um, well, the first thing you do is you engage and you make an assessment. Mm. And um, social work is strengths-based, and I really love that. So the whole idea is that what you do is you find a person's, you listen to a person's difficulties, but also you draw out their strengths. And then what you do is you say, well, hang on a second, you're telling me that you've basically, you know, you're really struggling financially, how are you going with their lunches? You've, have the kids got lunch every day? They're like, oh, yeah, no, that's always been important to me. And so you draw out what their values are and you find the things they're doing well at. Right. And I think I, I know a number of times clients have kind of looked at me like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I'm doing something well. I, I love that part of it, you know, right. actually. um, finding people's strengths and and it's an amazing thing for them to realize they have strengths because often by the time you come to a point where you're working with a social worker in schools you you know you're feeling pretty downtrodden and pretty low at that Mm. stage or you're feeling really frustrated with your kids Mm. so um to be drawing out someone's strengths is a really cool thing to do Mm. and then what you do is you use their strengths to overcome their difficulties
0: right yeah so it's about emphasizing what they're good at yeah not we've all got strengths not good at yet yeah right? <laughs> yeah
1: okay well let's use the fact that you're good with money to overcome this mm-hmm. let's let's l- use your values about um you know always being there for your kids to support this difficulty you're having yeah so yeah and
0: just thinking through because i am curious about people who you know like you me- you probably were meeting lots of people all the time mm. um what are some skills or some habits or things that you've learned about meeting people for the first time and and breaking down the barrier of this is a social worker i uh, i'm not really sure what they want or anything you know because yeah, yeah. i'm always curious for the listeners as well to be able to learn from other people's experience yeah so i think you'll have skills that some of us wouldn't have come across, yeah.
1: Definitely, I mean, I think you always need to start with a client with being extremely clear about what the rules are, Right. you know, so you don't disclose what they tell you. As a social worker in schools, your, the child is your client, so it's always about being really clear with a person about that, and that's a really good position to come from, because it's like, I'm always gonna put your child's needs before anyone else's. Mm -hmm. Um, So once you've been extremely clear about that, it's just about being open and warm, and and genuinely caring about someone and wanting to know what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And generally by the time that's all happened, you know, because they've had a build up to meeting you, they just want to let it all out. They just want to tell you everything that's going on. And it's just about listening, just mm. completely listening to what's going on, because it's almost cathartic just being able to get it all out. Mm. So, What yeah. makes
0: a good listener?
1: Um... Smiling, having open, you know, body language Mm -hmm. and uh, eye contact Mm -hmm. and just, yeah, nodding, paraphrasing, all of that stuff and Mm -hmm. just sitting with them and whatever's going on for for them. Mm. Yeah.
0: I've noticed um, because I'm doing this podcast quite a lot these days and that's one of the things is I've consciously chosen to only do it in person. Mm-hmm. because I love the idea of looking in someone's eyes, like we're looking yeah. at each other right now. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that I'm listening, actively nodding, yes. engaged. Yeah. Whereas I think if, you, if we did it by Skype or if we did it on the phone, you know, it's different. just, it is a different dynamic. Yeah. It is that those body language and the hands and yeah, you know, yeah. W- yeah. how how we're expressing ourselves. Definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah well, that's cool. So, so what happened next? I'd love to hear about what you're involved in now. So maybe just kind of bring us up to um, yeah, maybe how you got involved with scarves from another country. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> Tell I, us that as story much as now. I
1: love social work, um, I was so uh, I'm really passionate about everything I do, and I struggled sometimes with the system. We we need a system. The system's in place for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, compared to so many other countries, our system's amazing, mm-hmm. but it's also really frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend most of your time doing paperwork and. Sometimes you could see what a child needed, and you couldn't do that for them, and it was really, really hard. Mm. So I was pretty ready to get out, and we we wanted to have kids, and I was going to leave social work, so we decided to go to Vietnam and Cambodia. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I was really busy, so I didn't know anything about it. We just went. My husband wanted to see Angkor Wat. And so we we get to Cambodia, and it it was just completely devastating Mm. to see the poverty it was, um, you know, we started in Vietnam and Vietnam's poor, and then you go to Cambodia and it's like nothing you've ever seen. Mm. Um, it was just. Was this
0: your first time yeah, overseas to yeah, a apart place from like Australia? That. It was my yeah. first
1: time really going anywhere. And um, obviously, a developing country, you know, it's just mm. next level. Um, the people were so warm and friendly, and you just kind of were like, how can you be so happy? You know, like, you're so, you know, this, this situation's really dire. Mm. Uh, but to be fair, they're always really happy to see a tourist. You know, tourists are really important to their country. Uh, so so along the trip, we we obviously went to a place called S21, which is when um, the Kumai Rouge came through. Uh, they, they'd they taken anyone that was educated and they put them in these... these um, Prisons, And the one we went to see in Phnom Penh uh, was an old school. And um, they, they showed us the different ways that they would torture people. And it was absolutely hideous. Mm. It was just hideous. And then, uh, to make it even worse, to make it even harder, we then went to the killing fields. And it's it's so hard to describe because if I do, I'll just cry. So I, I kind of <laughs> gloss over things like this so I don't. Yeah. Heads. Right.
0: So this makes a huge impression, oh, I can tell. Oh, it was
1: just... <laughs> like you know uh, you just to be there and to see it is just hideous and and the um as you'd walk along the paths if if it had been really rainy it would wash up more bones right you would literally walk over bones and it it was just hideous to think that this had happened in our lifetime i Mm. think that was another thing um, well, when my mum was having children, this was happening. Yeah. So it ended around the time I was born, mm. and so I suppose in school you learn about history, but it's so f- so long ago that you kind of it's, it's easier to kind of put in a place of that's what used to happen. Mm-hmm. And going to Cambodia, this is something that that happened not that long ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and the corruption's still going on. It's still although it's democracy, there's still so much corruption in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So I know it's people are still struggling, mm. so yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're wearing a scarf right now, so just describe how that happened. W- was it on that trip that yeah. you saw someone So we So we what? were
1: lucky enough to, uh, the tour guide we had come from a place called Batambong and so he wanted to go there, so he took us there on the way, which is a little bit off the journey, mm-hmm. and we went on a thing called the Bamboo Railway. So this is an old railway line that is so old and buckled that they can't send a train down it, so the locals make bamboo platforms, And they throw it on with, um, you know, the wheels and a motor and they go up and down. And so they take their stuff to market or go to town or they take the tourists. So on this day, we were going along and I was thinking, you know, this Kiwi kid who loves ingenuity because on the farm you had to make things out of, Mm. you know, things that were on the farm Mm because you didn't have the money to go to town all the time and buy new things. So I was thinking, oh, this is so ingenious. I love it. And then... Um, we, we pull up and there's all the locals standing there ready to sell us a cold drink. And, and there's a woman standing there and she's got her bike and she's got each end of her krama, which is essentially a scarf, tied to the handlebars and her child was sitting in it. And I just went, oh, I think I could do something. Imagine if I used the krama At that stage, I didn't even know the name of it. Mm. What if I sold these? Because I'd seen all along the trip, I'd seen people using and wearing a chroma, so And I'd bought one in non Penh so um i kind of knew what it was by Mm. then but the idea came to me in that moment i was like this is so ingenious and i think kiwis love ingenuity
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we're quite practical people Mm -hmm. so i could see a way to um to use a Mm chroma
0: yeah wow so there's an actual moment where yeah. the light bulb went.
1: Definitely, boom. and luckily, I still have that photo. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. I'd love to find that woman and yeah. that child. That would be amazing. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, so then, so then, what happened? Because you, you, you get that idea, and then yeah,
1: and then of course I go home, mm-hmm. and it kind of rattles around in my head a bit, and I, I have the kids. So I have two girls now, and um, it was once I had the kids, the idea I actually became it became more important for me to do it because I thought about how, you know, when you've got kids, you, you want to make sure you've got their nutrition right and they've got enough layers on and, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. But in Cambodia, the mums just want to feed their kids. You know, like that's literally their biggest thing is I need to I need to feed my children. Um, so I became uh, more determined to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I was on a Facebook page um, a Facebook group called Natural Parenting Canterbury, and a woman was saying, oh, I'm going to Cambodia with my kids and la, la, la. And I said, oh, hey, is there, is there any chance you might be able to find a, like people that weave krumah for me because I'd love to be able to start a business? Mm. And, um, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be with my five kids. That's, that's a bit much. Mm-hmm. She said, but I used to live and work in Cambodia, and the woman I worked with is Cambodian. She still lives there. I think she'd love to help you. This is this is the kind of thing she'd love to do. Mm. So she said, Here you go. She introduced us on Facebook, on Messenger, and she said, Here's Nita And that's all she told me about Nita at the time. I didn't realise that Nita had this horror I mean, this amazing story of, you know, growing up as a refugee and everything else. Mm. So I said, Hey, do you want to help me? And at that time, I didn't even have, like she, I checked her out on Facebook and she checked me out on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because I'd been a social worker, I hadn't really posted a lot and stuff like that. I'd kind of kept quite private. So I could check her out, but she couldn't really check me out if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But she agreed to do it. So Nita then travelled to a number of different villages to find some weavers that we could um, trade with, Mm -hmm. partner with. Mm -hmm. And um, she... Uh, she came across the ladies that we do par- have partnered with because they make the most beautiful, fabulous crema. Lots of people that spend time in Cambodia can't believe the, the quality that we're getting from these guys and mm. the colours that we're getting. Mm-hmm. They're just absolutely stunning. Mm. So I was really lucky that Nita was prepared to do that because yeah. it was a big ask.
0: Yeah, so what year is this? Oh, gosh. First-
1: um, okay, so it must have been two thousand and four years ago now Mm -hmm. so yeah 2015 right yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. interesting yeah and so then so then what happened you you got some samples and yeah yeah is anybody interested in buying this yeah
1: so we kind of like mum lent me the money to start the website Mm -hmm. and then it was uh we all chipped in to buy some and then we sold those to buy more and then we started to build the website and that's when i said oh nita can you send us something so we can do a write-up on you mm-hmm. and that's when i realized how amazing nita is mm-hmm. so nita grew up in a um in a refugee camp on the border of thailand and cambodia so mm-hmm. basically that's where a lot of people went after the fall of the Khmer rouge some people from there went to move lots of people moved to new zealand mm-hmm. um and uh america and canada um but we need it so nita like, was brought up in a whom Her mum used it as a sling mm-hmm. to hold Nita. You know, they would have used it for a million different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they then moved to Nguyen when she was five and they had to build a house of the things they could find. They just had nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nita was really determined that she wasn't going to continue to be poor. You know, it's just such a hard life. And mm-hmm. so, Nita worked two or three jobs and got herself an MBA. Um, and she then went into English language, which is where she met the lady that introduced us. I see. And then she went to work in television. So um, so she she's a really smart, determined woman. Mm. So that's where I got really lucky with Nita. Yeah, you yeah. had
0: a good partner on the ground.
1: Definitely, and really um, motivated to do something. Yeah. yeah.
0: So tell us about the business model and what is it that makes it a social enterprise? Because it's obviously <laughs> focused on more than just... How much are we selling these things for? Yeah,
1: definitely. So basically the idea is we try to make every step good. Mm -hmm. So first of all, Nita negotiated price with the ladies. Mm -hmm. And I just said, oh, Nita, that's that's crazy. We've got to pay them more than that. So we doubled it straight away. But the other thing we wanted to do is we wanted this to work for them. So obviously they were going to make good money. They didn't have to take their stock to market. We just go and pick it up and we just buy what they've made. Mm -hmm. So for them, it works really well. Um, but we wanted, we, we wanted them to feel good about what they were doing to be able to do some good with that. So we set up what we call the village fund. So we, every time we buy a kroma, we put one US dollar into the village fund. And then once it once it builds up, we say to the ladies, right, what do you want to do? And one of the things we offered was to send doctors out and they love it. In fact, this is the favourite thing about partnering with us. It's not how much money they make it's actually that we can do this for them Mm. so um we we partner with a charity that's got really huge um, new zealand connections and we pay them and they send out usually like three doctors two nurses in a van and they set up for the day in the middle of the village Mm. and it's this beautiful day where everyone comes together and just hangs out gets to be seen by a doctor and that's probably one of my favourite things, mm. especially because like Nita's so good at sending photos, and I see how proud the weavers are of being able to do this for their community, because mm-hmm. doctors are not something that that are accessible for these
2: guys.
0: Yeah, the thing I love about the story so far, and I know we haven't finished it yet, but just <laughs> the impact that someone based in Christchurch, New Zealand, can have on yeah. another country like that. You yeah, know, like I mean, and it's, it, it it's, must be satisfying to see those photos oh. of the woman coming to get. You know, the doctor's here today. And... I cry every time I get those right. photos. <laughs> every
1: time. And it's just amazing. And the thing is, we are small, um, and that's kind of, that's good. Mm-hmm. So it's me, it's Nita. So people through Facebook and, and everything else feel like they know Nita, and they get excited about seeing photos of Nita. And they know that we're doing this. They know it's truly happening. I mm-hmm. get the photos in real time. You know, I can, I can post and... half of them before she's left the village, which yeah. is amazing. Um so, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Nita, when she went on her first shopping trips, would take her mum and her mum would just keep saying, Nita, what? I don't understand. Why are we buying these? And she's, she said, oh, mum, Beck thinks these are awesome. Beck want, wants to sell them and celebrate what we do. Because mm-hmm. for me, it's about celebrating the cultural tradition of using the krumah and weaving the krumah mm-hmm. um, just as much as anything else. So it's not a pity party. It's actually, oh, my gosh, have you seen these stunning stunning krumar?" Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, yeah,
0: that's cool. So, it's actually a product that people can buy. Yeah. Um, like, as, how many colors are there? And, Ooh. like, is there different? Yeah. yeah. What are the variations? Well, that's the and hardest stuff. thing. Yeah. So, um,
1: so we, we've got small, large, and extra large. So, because uh, we started with small and large, and then Nina said actually they could make these really big ones. Okay. Like as big as a towel, which is huge. Right. But they're so fine that you can still wear it as a scarf, which is great. Um. So, I. We we buy what they've made, but I keep saying to Nita, oh, like oh, I love this colour, Nita, can you please get me more? Mm. And more often than not, I can't. Right. So it's really hard to run a website.
0: They're bespoke. When right. there's like <laughs>
1: two of one colour, one of another colour, ten of another colour. And
0: why is that? Because they're hand-making? Because the, I are handmade. Yeah. And
1: sometimes, like, oh, my favourite Cromara at the moment is I've got a black and white one mm-hmm. and a large check, which is called the Esther. And they must have run out of black. So they just started they finished it off the last 10 15 centimeters in maroon. Hmm. it's just so beautiful yeah. because it's a practical it's a practical item in Cambodia so yeah. as long as it works it doesn't matter what color it is right so i love that about it's it it's not so a fashion statement over no. there. it's a practical yeah. i'm yeah. holding my baby in it right exactly <laughs> and e- so every chroma is different so mm. uh, for instance the easter is a black and white chroma mm-hmm. with check, but sometimes it's got a bit of pink in it or a bit of yellow in it or okay. it's a bit more textural. Um, but it does mean that it's really hard to put them on the website as well, mm-hmm. you know, to get a photo loaded up. So the thing for me that I find important is to go out to do markets
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that people can get to know me, get to know the product. I and, see. and pick up a chroma and wear the chroma and, and understand it. Because you can pick up one and it can be quite rough and another and it can be quite fine. Right. Every weaver weaves differently and the cotton they get can be different. Um, so although we do have the website, getting out there is really important because mm. generally if it's a one-off, I'll just take it to a market. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's
0: cool. So the impact that we've talked about so far is, um, for example, the dollar that goes back and then the yep. doctors come, but presumably it's also giving these women a source of income and a livelihood, right? Yeah. Like that's a big part of the impact. Really,
1: the thing, one of the things I really love as a mum, and and I know Nita loves this as well, is in Cambodia, you generally have to leave where you live Mm -hmm. in your village and go into a city to work, and some people have to go to another country to work. Mm. These women get to weave their krama, in between all their daily chores for the day, and they Mm. get to bring their children up. So there's this beautiful shot, we've just made a clip with um, Shay, and in the clip, my favourite bit is you see the woman weaving all together, all, their looms are together so they can hang out, but there's chickens running around and the children are running around and my right. favourite photo was a photo that is of Nita trying to get them all together to get a photo and they're laughing and their children are in their arms. Mm. These women get to bring their children up and make good money mm. and um, I think that is so cool. It's mm. my favourite thing.
0: That's cool. Have yeah. you been to visit them? no really it's really funny i, yeah. I
1: run a business for a woman i've never met yeah and i've never that'll met that'll be the a special this. trip yeah. eventually right <laughs> yeah hopefully next year so yeah. it's for me the kids are really small and everything mm. else so i just want to wait till it's yeah. a good time yeah. so we had a, a journalist go over a wee while ago and i was thinking oh my gosh she's going and i've never been and like, right. i wonder what she's going to see yeah because of course for Nita to go over there, it's just quite normal. But for a, a Kiwi to go over and see village life, they see things that, are, are, you know, a local wouldn't maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, that yeah. was really interesting.
0: That's great. Is there any other impact that you wanted to talk about? Because I'm always curious to tease out yeah what the business is doing. So
1: the other thing I wanted to do, coming from a, a social work background, working for charities, mm. is I wanted to support uh, women that were doing great stuff. So I chose to support a charity called Flame, which uh, has strong links to New Zealand through Hagar. Okay. So uh, Sue Hannah, um started Flame and she had worked for Hagar for a, a number of years and brought up a number of the young people mm. that Hagar had saved. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the thing. When you save someone, you know, you, you then you bring them up, don't yeah. you? So a lot of these young people call her mum. So Esther, who I've named the Kroma after, mm. you meet. Is it, did you meet Longdi?
0: Longdi, yeah. Yes. He, he was on the podcast about eight weeks ago yeah, or so. Yeah, so he yeah. works for Hagar now, right. doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does, yeah.
1: Um, so I love what Sue's, Sue Hannah is doing, what Flame is doing. Yeah, yeah. Because so I think
0: Longdi talked about Sue in the podcast oh, he as like off. his second mum.
1: Her mana in in, the, in Cambodia, yeah, Penh is yeah, huge. Right. She is she is amazing. You yeah. know, if you ever get a chance, I think she'd be getting her in for, <laughs> for a... Um, one but um so for me it was about so it's all centered around women mm-hmm. the kumara made by women mm-hmm. the the business is run by women and and we know that when we support women that's the best way to make a better outcome for everybody
2: in right. society yeah
1: uh, so i wanted to support a charity that was started by a woman so that's why i chose flame
2: yep.
1: um i don't know if long d talked um, about rithi mm-hmm. but rithi um i don't think Rithy so. rithi is now a doctor Okay. He was sponsored by a New Zealand doctor um, to go through medical school mm-hmm. and he takes a tuk tuk into the slums, I which is just incredible.
0: Yeah, I think I met him when he visited New Zealand uh, about a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't interview him. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, these guys are doing such cool yeah, work. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, why wouldn't you support them? Yeah. So, I didn't want to start my own charity. I wanted to support New Zealand women that had had been working really hard because right. I just think that's so so and much in better in that
0: context in the actual country where exactly. these are being made yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so I, I know the weavers are being able to help their village and mm-hmm. then so the idea was that the profits should go to charities that are doing great stuff and so the profits have to go to education for girls mm-hmm. and opportunities for women so the idea around opportunities for women is giving a mother an opportunity to start a business and make some money. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, um, And I just love what those guys do. Mm. Uh, The other charity I chose to support that I'd had a lot to do with in my time as a social worker was Home and Family. So Home and Family have got a huge history of supporting women in in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of what they're focused on, Home and Family do play therapy for kids, Mm -hmm. which is just amazing. And I, I just made so many referrals to them and saw so many huge, amazing mm, outcomes changes, for families. Yeah. Um, and they also have a residential program so for families. So if you're getting to a point where you're struggling with your kids and there's a chance you might not be able to care for them anymore, mm-hmm. you can go in, if you're lucky, you get to go to this program and you work residentially. The thing I love about that program is even if you're finished with the program they have a monthly lunch where everyone's always invited so you're always part of that family Mm. so i really love what home and family do so they were the charities that i chose to support so um the thing i can do for them as well is obviously as i grow a social media profile i can talk about and share what they do more Mm. and hopefully people even if they don't want to come but if they're looking for a charity to support they can go oh actually well, this is really cool what these, these are guys some pretty are doing
0: worthy causes well, what yeah. we'll do is i'll get the links from you for each of the things yeah, that we're talking that about and great. put them in the show notes totally. and then yep. people can just you know click through and that find out be more because awesome. yeah. that's one of the things i love about the podcast is it hopefully can help amplify some of these stories that people maybe will go oh i'd like to know more about flame yeah exactly yeah Yeah. and in terms of supporting you or um what you're doing you know like christmas is coming up yeah presumably these are great christmas presents Ah, and you know like your website we can put that in the show notes as well maybe um, because people can find that yeah um i'd like to turn from that now to something else if that's okay (laughs) um in particular i think you came to a lunch that i helped organize a couple months ago it was the february one yeah it it? was the impact lunch and those are that's an initiative I started about a year and a half ago or so. And basically every month and a half or two months, I just get people together in a room, usually an exchange cafe. Yeah. And often 30 or 40 people across sectors right (laughs) yeah it's amazing very diverse range of people um but can you just describe what your impression was going to that lunch and then what's happened as a result of that because it's a nice story for me to hear as well (laughs)
1: definitely yeah so um i love those lunches Uh, i think you never know who you're going to meet and what that link's going to mean um and everyone's always there just willing to get to know people and chat about what they're doing Mm. and um so I was lucky enough to sit next to this young woman at this lunch and we chatted away and she said, oh, I, you know, I've just got come back from America. I was on a soccer scholarship and uh, just trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And so we chatted about it and then as you do, you kind of go away and chat to other people and mix and mingle and then we chatted a bit more and I said, oh, I really think we should, we should touch base about this because we could do something cool together maybe. Mm. And um, so we, uh, you know, liked each other on Facebook, as you do, and I saw her not that long after at Home and Family had a, a football mm. tournament
2: All right.
1: uh, fundraiser, and so she was at that, and so we saw each other again, and I'm like, oh, we really do need to catch up, and yeah. um, and then, of course, sadly, the 15th of March happened, mm-hmm. and obviously, that was just completely devastating for so many people, um, and I... I'd been in town with the kids at the school strike for climate and we'd had to run out of town and the kids had heard why we were running out of town they they knew why sure and then we'd ended up at um school because I wanted I only buy ethical second hand so I tried I wanted to go to the school second hand uniform sale right. to get the kids some more uniforms because I thought we were fine I didn't realize that all schools were going into lockdown so mm. we ended up in lockdown even though I'd been out of school which was frustrating but probably helpful because I'm a social worker that worked with anxiety that I ended up in this room. Right. So we'd ended up there and I'd had to say to the kids, you can't say anything, you can't tell the other kids why we're here, and um, so that was cool. So we, they didn't, which was great. And we were lucky, we, we come, our school's amazing. Waitakere did a very good job. Some of those children were completely oblivious. One kid said at 5.30, is it home time yet? And we're like, oh, dude, it's 5.30. And he's like, oh, my mum's going to be really angry with me. And we're like, it's okay, she knows. Mm. So, of course, we'd had this huge day, um, and we have friends in the Muslim community. And, and actually, when we were in lockdown, I was with one of my friends from the community, and I had to, I'd had to explain to her why we were in lockdown. Mm. Um, so I then had to process this with my kids. I had to, Ruby's best friend is Muslim. So we had to unpack it luckily we'd planned to go to Mount Summers that night, the car was packed, the trailer was, was packed, we were going so I said to my husband as soon as we're out we're going, we're not staying and so we got out and the next day May had planned to, she'd been seed saving, she'd been stealing like flowers from the neighbours mm-hmm. we'd been going on little journeys to seed save because mm-hmm. we'd been working with roots and shoots and learning about seed saving And May wanted to make seeded paper so this is what we did: is we made the seated paper, and then I thought, well, the social worker in me obviously went, well, hey, maybe we could kind of draw this out a bit and actually, you know, use it as a tool to help the kids.
2: Because
1: mm. the beauty of making the seated paper is you're not really looking at each other; you're just all around a table, and you've got a bowl in the middle, and you're ripping up this paper, mm. and you're just chatting. And the stuff that comes out with kids when you're just chatting is amazing Mm. so and then we decided we might write something so Ruby did a beautiful picture of her and her best friend and um, thought about what she'd want to say to him and everything else and and so from all of this I kind of went actually you know what we we could do something with this we could actually help some people because the other thing that was happening for me that weekend was people were asking me what they should say to their kids um, they were feeling really lost. Mm. So I, I contacted a friend, um, Jessie Kendall. She has empowered me now. So she does neuro-linguistic programming. And so she'd put out a really cool thing about the ways you should support your kids. So I was like, Jessie, can I use those? And she's mm. like, fine, go for it. So I, I um, launched Giving Seeds of Love. Some people I still have never met did a logo for me. All these people I know just I just draw on heaps of different people to do different things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then of course I went, Oh, Belle, I met Belle. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. She just worked with charities in America as part of she'd done sociology and psychology. And she helped startups. So I contacted Belle and she's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come help you, sweet as. So (laughs) um, isn't it funny? You know, you never know, you know, you just go, we're going to work together on something. And she has been so fabulous. So she's come, uh, we we were actually, because we'd already been working with Roots and Shoots, Jane Goodall was coming to New Zealand. So uh, we were invited to, the kids were invited to talk about, Giving seeds of love, mm. and then when all of the different groups of kids had had done it, had talked about what they were doing, uh, our children taught everyone else how to make giving seeds of love, mm. and they got all the kids got to take a pot home with their seeded heart, which is so cool. What a great memento from getting to meet Jane Goodall, mm. um, and Belle got to come with us to that. When we did the seconds, when the second school strike for climate came, um, obviously it had been ended abruptly. Because of the fifth, it was the 15th of March. Mm. So I know a lot of the organisers, and I said, Hey, what are you going to do about that? You can't have an elephant in the room, if you know what I mean. So that's when we got hold of Zada Husseini, who mm. was on a couple of yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. And we talked to her about, Hey, would you come with us and would you maybe speak and would you talk about actually how in the Muslim faith, the, the planet and sustainability is actually really important as well? And this is something we're, we're together on. Mm. Um, so she agreed to do that. So what we decided to do is she would get up and speak, and then we would hand out um, Giving Seeds of Love, seeded hearts and cards mm-hmm. at the event. Mm-hmm. So Belle came with us to that. and Belle's just been with us all along the way, which has just been fabulous. That's great. So yeah, no,
0: I'd love to hear that story. It's really encouraging for me. You know, organizing something and wondering yeah. will anything come from it, and yeah. there's actually a tangible thing that oh gosh resulted. Yeah. So that's oh, it's really just awesome. just been massive, yeah. yeah Even cool.
1: when we made the unity sign, Belle turned up with a van and helped us shift the in because each letter was so big it had to go in a van each and okay. stuff like that. So,
0: yeah, right. That's yeah. awesome. So, giving seeds of love. Does it have a Facebook page or a website, yes. or so we how have, can people connect? That was with the her? thing.
1: Like a uh, Danielle who who was in Australia at the time, mm-hmm. who does uh, the marketing for Cromar and Co. I'm like, oh hey, can you? Do to throw me together a website (laughs) she's like okay i mean this is madness but because i'd spent so long and and you know running a social enterprise my contacts uh were huge So and understanding how to start it was just i just had it all there Mm. so danielle started a website um we started instagram and facebook straight away and obviously this woman i never knew have done all of this you know um logo and everything for me. So mm. yeah, so we're all set up with, with all of that. But um, can I talk about unity? Should yeah, I tell of course, you a bit about be that? Great. Yeah. So I wanted to use paper that had been left at the memorial sites right. to make the seeded hearts for the Muslim community. Mm. Bunnings donated us a hundred pots and all the seeds we needed. To be able to gift 100. Mm-hmm. And so I thought what would be really cool is because that paper would already be infused with the love and, and good wishes mm-hmm. of the community, mm-hmm. that would be the best way to show our love. So when they went to pull everything up, I, I got some, one of the girls to contact them and say, hey, can we come and grab whatever you can't archive? So because they worked very hard to archive anything they could. Mm -hmm. And so I was allowed to turn up with boxes and take what what I was allowed. And then I saw all they were, when they were taking the flowers apart, they were taking the flower wrappers off, composting the flowers, and then they were putting the flower wrappers in a pile. And I said, what are you doing with that? And they were like, oh, it's got to go. And I said, oh, can I have it? And so they kind of looked at me like I was a bit mad. But anyway, <laughs> I took it home. Boxes, probably 10 boxes right. of,
0: of this stinky. So this is the wrapping around yeah, the flowers so that people And it's usually left.
1: like really bright, right? Yeah. you know, yeah, and really colourful. And it's plastic mm-hmm. or it's tissue paper. Yeah. So the tissue paper didn't look that great because it had been sitting in the rain for six weeks by then. Yeah. Um, yeah, at least four weeks. And so I washed the tissue paper in the machine and I wiped down all of the plastic mm-hmm. and I was left with this stunning paper, like really high quality paper. And then I thought, Oh man, what do I do with this? Like mm-hmm. it it felt like it, it belonged I, I kind of felt I, I needed to represent everybody that had placed them there and what their intentions were and and I felt it belonged to the Muslim community or the wider community as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And so because I just become part of the United Canterbury Woman team, mm-hmm. I kind of used them all along the way to, to kind of say, well, hey, how do I do this? How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Shall we call it this? Shall it say unity? Um, but before that happened, I contacted a friend, Simone Johnson, who has Flower Girl, but she I know her because she also has a social enterprise, Manu Fair Trade, that gets stuff from Guatemala. Uh, actually had met her, been introduced to her by Ministry of Awesome. Mm. Uh, so I said, hey, you know, how you make those flowers. What do you think about making really massive flowers and Hmm. then putting it on a sign? And she she was really keen to do something. Like most of us, she was feeling really devastated and lost. Like, what can I do? I want to I want to be able to do something. Uh, So she just agreed straight away. So took them around, and uh, she's such a geek. She just loved it. She's like, oh (laughs) look at this paper. Look at that paper. And I said, look, please don't do anything yet. I have no funding, mm. so please don't do anything. And of course, as soon as I left, she started making them. <laughs> um, so we were lucky enough uh, through the United Canterbury Women team that we got a bit of funding to, to pay Simona a little bit of money, but we didn't even know till afterwards that we could do that and Bunnings gave us everything we needed to make it. And so we made this massive sign. It's 5.3 metres long, mm-hmm. and the U of Unity is 1.8 metres high. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hafsa from the team, mm-hmm. from Lady Kahija Charitable Trust, mm-hmm. she put me in touch with um, kind of some of the ladies that were were from Al Noor, um, so from the Muslim Association of Canterbury, she put me in touch with Jamia. And she put me in touch with Rakaya from CMCT. And so I harassed them about it for a while, those, those poor women. I'm like, what about this, what about that? How can we do this, can we do that? <laughs> and what we arranged is I arranged, I'd contacted the museum, and they said, yes, but someone needs to donate it. So the deal I made was that the um, Muslim Association of Canterbury, we gifted it to them and they donated it to the Canterbury Museum mm. because it's just too big mm. for the for the mosque. Mm. Like, and it would just, you know, like someone said, the kids would just wreck it. Like, where would we keep it?
0: Yeah. And where was it used the first time? Was there an event? Yes. Yeah.
1: So um, so we decided, so I'm I'm part of the Uniting Canterbury Woman team, which mm-hmm. Zara's also on. Yeah. So that was brought together by Jo Bailey, who felt a real need to do something. She contacted Zara and Zara called us all in, essentially. So I got a, a message from Naema. One day, a mutual friend that, and she said, "Oh, Zara needs us to go to something. I don't know what it is, but can you be at such and such a place at lunchtime?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." So we decided that we were going to do this event, and I and so through organizing this event, that's when unity was being created, and, mm-hmm. and so I was consulting the girls all the way along, and then I said, "Hey, what you know? Why don't we unveil it at our event?" Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. It was absolutely amazing mm-hmm. to be able to do that, and um. So St Andrews gave us the chapel for the night, didn't charge us. And if you've been to St Andrews Chapel, Mm -hmm. it's such a stunning space. Mm. Um, So we had her on stage and um, nearly, it was pretty much right at the start of the night, we invited members of the Muslim community to come and unveil it. We had the uh, One News ask to um, get a clip of it before and show it on TV before, but we absolutely refused. It was the Muslim community that were had to see it first. Mm-hmm. So we unveiled it that night. It took us like all these trips to get the whole sign from Simona's house to there. And mm-hmm. then it went back to Simona's house. And then from there, the, um, the museum picked it up. Yeah. I but think I
0: saw f- pictures of it on the, on the evening because it, yeah. it got picked up in social media and on news yeah. stories yeah and it things, was on it? was on one news yeah.
1: yeah so she's such a beautiful piece of work simona did such a good job yeah the hours she put into that were huge her mm. husband and father-in-law made the sign mm. made the letters mm. um and she's she's just beautiful and she yeah. was just part of the tributes of aroha as well which is really cool and yeah. now she's back at the museum the deal we made with the museum is that if they wanted it for anything else so if Tapapa papa want it or if any other organisation wanted it, they would be able to take it out of the museum to do that, which right. is really cool because uh, it would be really nice to see that travel news, Ze- you know, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as much as uh, the 15th of March has been horrific and continues to be horrific. Um, New Zealand and Christchurch should be really, really proud of what we've done, mm. you know, and that was led by Jacinda and it was led by the Muslim community, mm. um, you know, and the world's watching us, I think, in mm. terms of our um, response. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's great. And, you know, the thing I love about this entire interview is you keep mentioning other people and how I called this person I just went around <laughs> to their house and then they said, come to this meeting, and so I went there. And, yeah. But I just get the sense because – Quite often, it's easy to become cynical if you just look at news stories, which is the negative stuff. But what I'm hearing from you is the amazing work that real people, individuals on the ground who probably will never get a headline or never get the credit that they deserve, but they're actually out there in the community doing something positive. And I just love all the different names that you've mentioned. I wish we could you know, do a podcast with each one of them, because yeah. I'm sure that they've all got their individual stories. Oh, but, they definitely but do. But just hearing it, you know, like, there's a lot of good stuff happening. And if more of us could be that way, could be activated and be willing to help each other, yeah, surely we could transform, you know, starting maybe in Christchurch, but beyond that as well, if definitely. if you have that attitude.
1: Yeah, I think the thing is, so giving seeds of love is um, offering up an opportunity to participate mm-hmm. in something positive and meaningful mm-hmm. um so because they had all these people saying what do i do that was my response hey guys this is what you can do mm. and so um hafsa and i from uh, so i've teamed up now with lady Kahija charitable trust mm-hmm. so hafsa is a trustee and she was part of she is part of uniting canterbury Women as well mm-hmm. um so we're going to partner up to move forward and, and see what we can do with this mm-hmm. um And we've kind of decided that our our slogan is growing meaningful connections on our planet. So what we want to do with this is bring people together Mm. and do something positive together. Mm. Um, So the idea with the seeded hearts is they have wildflowers in them. So wildflowers represent the beauty of diversity and they also represent resilience. So humans are extremely resilient and this is a really good example of us being really resilient, but in nature, diversity is actually um, a strength mm. you know you think of about a wildflower meadow and all the different insects and um that that can live in there and the bees and what that means and mm. then all the other animals that 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 brings into it yeah and so diversity is a strength we need diversity and we just need to understand it and i believe that if we all understood each other a bit more we would see we have more similarities than we do differences mm. um you know my friendship with Zara and everyone else came out of a really good friendship with Naima and Naima's son and my daughter are best friends. And Naima and I, to look at us, you'd think we were very different people, but we have so much in common, it's crazy. Mm. We just need to get to know each other. That's all it takes, Mm. you know? We don't all have to like each other, but if we understand each other, you know, we're we're actually going to be okay. Mm. Yeah.
0: And that's, yeah, what I hope for the people listening who maybe haven't been involved in things you know even just taking an encouragement to get involved to help yeah. out to volunteer yeah to to make those connections because i think w- what i hear over and over from what you've said is you know i called this person they said no problem i'll help i talked with this person they said no problem i'll help we'll yeah. do a website it's crazy. we'll do some folding you know like it's so that's really cool people
1: do want to do something and it's just what's what they're capable of doing and the, the time they have so another person i called was serena so Serena is is part of a um, of Koutuku Creative. So they may they wrote Maya and the Worry Bug, so that, and then they wrote Wishes and Worries, and Serena wrote uh, Oh Rising Tide. Mm. So she's already they're really well established. Um, as... Um, as authors of books that support children. Mm. And so she, to me, was another person. So I am I got in touch with her straight away and say, does this fit with your thinking? And she's like, yeah, it does. It's mm. perfect. And so we're hoping to work with her more as well. Great. Um, and Life and Vacant Spaces, I'm also working with them. Mm-hmm. So they've got East X East. So there's a place in, in the East, Residential Red Zone. Mm-hmm. And they've given us a space to start a unity garden, which will be for the children. So mm-hmm. the hope is... To get together with a whole heap of kids and schools and different places and a whole heap of different groups and all create these hearts, which will sow together and make a whole wildflower meadow.
0: Mm, that's awesome. So, again, yeah.
1: more connections just coming together. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's cool. Well, I'd love to um, see the book that results. You know, I can imagine a yeah. picture book of a child, you know, making a seed yeah. and then, and then. Um, planting it and watching the wildflowers grow and, things. Exactly, and Yeah. that's really cool well what we'll do um, I I'm serious we'll get links to everybody that you mentioned cool there's yeah. going to be a lot of links <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's good and um, and a shout out to everybody that you've mentioned and the great works that they're doing yeah definitely you know, um, I can't interview everybody but at least we can have mentioned several yeah. different initiatives which is really cool yeah um, yeah so it's it's been great to have you on the podcast I've really enjoyed our conversation and Thank if you, people yeah. do want to know more they can find out but I love as well just thinking about your own life and you know way back at the beginning you know yeah in your childhood and growing up and the fact that people used to come to you and you'd help them solve their problems and yeah and then kind of seeing how that played out through becoming a social worker helping children yeah and now what you're doing like I love the idea that you've never even met these women in yeah Cambodia, in Cambodia. but you are based here you know yeah helping them to have a livelihood that empowers them with their children you know yeah. that that's really cool so yeah um thank you so much for coming on the podcast Thanks for really having me.
1: it's been it. awesome
0: well i do hope you enjoyed that conversation with rebecca i know for me there were several things that stood out and in particular like i said at the start it was that value of community and the fact that so many people have helped in different ways if you enjoyed this then check out some of the earlier episodes as well until next time